Hi, one and all. Welcome to this Graduate Institute Podcasting Workshop podcast. With me, 14 students are going to come and go to the table we have set up here. We're going to have many different segments. I'm super, super excited for today. I'm your host, uh, Jan Rieder. I'm here as a guest, let's say guest teacher, but I'm just here for workshops, basically. And I am going to start and welcome Olivier and Anna. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Super glad to have you here. Um, you too. Um, okay, I overwrote something, so I don't remember exactly. Yeah, you want to talk to me about podcasting. Like It's pretty on point for today. Uh, you wanted to talk about, and Olivia, I think you want to start with a project of podcasts you have in mind. Exactly. So uh, basically, Anna and I uh, had an idea recently. Mm -hmm. uh, we are both part of the uh, environmental committee uh, here at the Graduate Institute. Mm -hmm. And we want to launch a podcast for the committee. Uh, so basically, I came with the idea recently um, because I recently became a, let's say, so to say, a, a podcast addict. Uh, and <laughs> when I was in the bus... Uh, the other day, I just thought, wow, we sh I should start one. It, it would be really great to mm -hmm. do that and fun. And so as I was already a member of the environmental committee, I thought that it would be great to join those two mm -hmm. activities together. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a, a, re a really efficient way to uh, sensitize people on many subjects and especially uh, regarding environmental issues, it will be really uh, interesting to to reach out uh, to uh, the general population in general. So it's a way to convey information, to convey information, but in a fun way actually, mm -hmm. and to uh, yeah, exactly. So to to raise awareness on environmental issues and how our everyday life habits have an impact on the environment. Mm -hmm. So it's also a way to be more aware of those impacts and also to uh, bring out some solutions. Uh, so I have a question because you are a group of two, uh, you are involved in like this podcast idea. Um, where does Anna come in here? So maybe I'll let Anna present <laughs> <laughs> the reason why she's here. But uh -huh. Yeah, well, coincidentally, uh, when Olivier mentioned the podcast at our last environmental committee meeting, um, I was sort of thinking the same idea in my head that there's an untapped resource at the Institute here. We're surrounded by such interesting professors and you have experts everywhere exactly and i'm surprised that no one's thought or at least there's no student initiatives mm. doing regular screenings of podcasts mm -hmm. um considering it's such an up-and-coming platform of getting education out there um so when he mentioned it i was on board and it's a great creative outlet as well for students uh to meet and interact with uh, these practitioners and get uh, yeah, more uh, information regarding uh, the environment mm. and spreading so awareness. So you want to have them as guests or do you think maybe it could be interesting also to have them as maybe like guest hosts or co-hosts and have them then interview other people maybe from other universities, other places of knowledge or authors of uh, books? Like, Would they like be involved in a more active way or would they just be like guests and answer your questions? Uh, well... It's a good idea. So far, we've been talking mostly about co-hosting this podcast and having uh, inviting guests on just as guests to interview basically what their research or jobs entail. Um, it's kind of a big commitment to ask someone mm. to permanently host with us, mm. um, but we'll see where we can take it. Maybe that's a direction we can take it in the future. Mm. Olivier, could you tell me more about like the, 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 the shape of the podcast you want to create maybe? Uh, yeah, so um, as Anna said, we want to receive uh, one guest per episode mm -hmm. and address a specific topic uh, each episode. And uh, so basically the first uh, part of the podcast would be to have a formal interview with this guest and then maybe have some uh, contributors like students who will come and present their articles or, uh, or text that uh, idea mm. that they want. And at the end, we... We, we were thinking about maybe uh, like giving each other a challenge, an env environmental challenge. Mm -hmm. And then the episode after, uh, we will ask each other, have you succeed mm -hmm. uh, this challenge? Have you reached? Yeah. Have you and will that challenge involve also the listeners in a way? Like, is there a way they can like reach you for feedback and say, hey, I tried the challenge in between two episodes and here's what I found out? Uh, actually, we haven't. 
think about that, <laughs> but I, I guess it's a really good idea to yeah, in, in involve our audience uh, yeah. more concretely. And what way are your listeners are going to find out about the podcast? Like, what are the ways they're going to like get to it, subscribe to it? Um, is there like a, a famous name of like an institution you can like put it against and say, hey, it's the such and such podcast? Like, it's the Greenpeace podcast. I'm of course like <laughs> saying that uh, you're not representative of Greenpeace, <laughs> but like, um, what is the way for you to be uh, found out out there? Was there's like tens of thousands of podcasts in directories? Well, I think. Uh, we're pairing up with the environmental committee who uh -huh. already has uh, a well-established name at the Institute and in Geneva as well as mm -hmm. considered a, a youth platform. Um, so we'll be taking advantage of that, but then also sharing it hopefully more broadly in Geneva as well um, to raise more awareness. So they're going to send emails. Maybe it's going to be up on their website. Um, that's basically yeah. the idea um, because that's something really interesting with podcasting is that like contrary for example to like YouTube videos or like posts on social media it's not something that people are going to maybe organically stumble upon but that's something that if they're very interested in for example the committee and go on its website or follow its different channels then they're going to like stumble upon the podcast and be oh that's really interesting that's something I'm committed to that's something I want to dig deeper in I want to listen to a conversation 30 minutes a pop uh, about it every week or something like mm -hmm. that um, so definitely think I think think about it as something people will reach for and will have a deep interest for is the way to go um, if you're going to structure that um, but again like to, to, to the idea of having like teachers and like maybe assistant researchers going in here do you already have like a list of people you want to reach out or is it more about themes is it more about like oh this time of the year there's this event we want to talk about like what's your lead well, today was actually our first meeting about it this morning. Mm -hmm. So this is all very rough draft brainstorming. And hopefully our next meeting in a couple of weeks, we'll start developing a list of potential themes, mm -hmm. people, guests associated with those themes that we could reach out to and invite on to our podcast. Sort of our deadline is to have a pilot episode launched next February. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So yeah, we, we basically uh, want to address a specific topic every episode mm -hmm. and then think about and that's the title the episode is going to get right. exactly or like the title might be a question as well oh. not to be too broad should i throw everything in the trash <laughs> <laughs> answer no goodbye three seconds <laughs> no we, we we hope that we can address the topic in different angles for mm -hmm. sure um and the um the reason behind this project and the the goal the goal behind this project is yeah to uh, answer questions um, invite some professors, but also so to, so let's say, popularize scientific topics that are too often uh, like uh, stick into the academic world and to reach out to the global population in general. So that's uh, a really uh, profound goal for us. Perfect. Do you have one last word before leaving the table or something you wanted to ask, ask here to, to me or to someone that might come to the microphone that's free here? Like, do you have anything to, to, to uh, maybe like wrap it up? Yeah, well, I guess seeing how we're new to the podcasting world mm -hmm. and you as well has, have created some podcasts from scratch, what would be mm. the biggest advice you could give to students like us who are wanting to create a podcast of our own? Again, I think if you're going to produce a podcast and you're not like working for a big brand saying, oh, we just want a 10 episodes podcast about that thing and I just want like to promote tea because my name is Lipton, um, <laughs> then I think you would have to think about how can you make this last in the long run. So for example, when you do the first pitch meetings about like what the show is about, uh, listing uh, as like you want to do every episode around a the theme, like listing themes and then listing potential guests you might mm -hmm. have and listing more than one because maybe someone's going to turn you down or someone is actually going to be traveling that year or maybe someone is going to be too busy someone just had a, 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 a children like something like that might happen and having like backup solution and be ready to have like maybe if you're going to do it monthly like 10 12 episodes for like the whole year or something like that is a very good way to like project yourself in the future and be able to sustain your podcasts uh, 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 for the following like months and years. I really think like balancing out between um, the time you're ready to give to the project and at the same time like the longevity you want it to have is the right thing to keep in mind. And so be prepared um, for that. 
Thank you. Great advice. Thank you very much for those words. And I might finish on mm -hmm. this note. Uh, it's an, an invitation for the students who are listening to us. Mm. Uh, we are trying to find a music, a catchy music for a podcast. Oh. So if any students who are... That is not the public domain music I'm going to use at the beginning and end of this <laughs> one. <laughs> okay. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if you want you know, someone who can make a, a jingle for us, we would uh -huh. be very happy. Thank okay, you. a musician ready to be hired. <laughs> <laughs> thank you both. Thank you, Anna. And thank you to Olivier. And now on to the next group. Thank you. I now welcome group one to the table, Deepa and Christina. Hi to both. Hi. I hope you're well. Yeah, we're good. Thank you. You wanted to talk about a subject that is um, debated a lot on the internet, I think, right now and for the past last years, mocked also, and I think pretty unfairly, you want to talk about veganism and about like those type of alternative, um, alternative way to eat and to basically live in the world and not depend on animals in the same way, if I'm getting the, the, the main topic correctly. You, you might correct me, but um, Deepa, if you could tell me a little bit more about like your approach and maybe start with your first question. I think it's you who starts asking uh, to, to uh, Christina. Perfect. Okay. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And uh, We were mainly uh, interested to understand veganism as a concept, not only as a concept, but also try to understand in each other's culture, like how it's practiced in Britain, how it's practiced in India, mm -hmm. and what are the learnings and what are the challenges and how it's misconstrued and uh, what are the misconceptions about it and people misunderstanding the concept and what are the challenges in practicing mm. it. So these are the issues that we wanted to basically like learn from each other. And, uh, so this is what we were having in mind. Yeah, so we just think it's something that's growing as a, as a kind of movement, a way of eating. But there's some really interesting comparisons, particularly between um, the UK and India, which are the two countries that we come from. So it's sort of this personal note, but also mm. exploring the topic uh, more broadly. And uh, yeah, we wanted to do sort of questions about that and have a discussion and then also involve, uh, involve you as well. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the first things we just wanted to clarify is, you know, what about us? Are, you know, how, how, what, you know, Deepa, are you uh, vegan or vegetarian? What do you identify yourself as? Um, that's the thing about the place I come from because we practice something called uh, vegetarianism and that's more common. So, uh, so uh, but I'm interested in veganism, but I am basically a vegetarian. I still have milk and uh, I, um, that part of animal products like, you know, milk and cheese and what you can call us. The dairy products, you could say. Mm. Yeah. So, how about you? Yeah. So, um, I guess I would actually describe myself as a flexitarian, um, but okay. I really embed veganism as much as I can. So, um, maybe as a kind of representation of, of what's happening in the UK. But yeah, I'd say most of my meals are vegan, um, but sometimes eat meat or, or dairy. That makes sense. And what about you? Yeah. I don't like my, my, my link to veganism is not directly through uh, me. I have um, the omnivorous diet of like probably okay. half of the population of, or more. <laughs> and that's something I'm thinking about my impact in the world. And that's definitely a topic that came up uh, uh, um, both in my mind and like it's a social issue right now. And it's an it important is. social issue that has to do with environment and that has to do with our future. Um, my girlfriend is vegan and actually having to cook or find meals or find restaurants, especially in Geneva, that are vegan uh, or that have vegan meals is a really big struggle. Um, and so I get, even though I'm not, a, I'm not vegan, I get to feel um, how complicated life becomes when you make the choice uh, of a vegan diet and of a vegan lifestyle. So definitely, like, it's more about seeing the struggle than completely feeling it. But actually, I have quite a good... Uh, um, point of view into it thanks to her oh that's interesting uh, but Christina I want to ask you about what is the scene in uh, Britain for veganism yeah so I think it's quite interesting that um, it, it has felt um, like there's more and more people who are vegan and there are more and more products available to be vegan. And so maybe some anecdotes are um, in restaurants. You can find many ref restaurants who are specializing uh, in vegan food, but don't feel like there's some kind of extreme... Um, 
niche market somehow um, and then there's the, their appearance in like general menus um, the other aspect is is how like this plethora of uh, vegan milk alternatives um, and other products that um, yeah I just in the last five years I've really seen that grow and that's been a, an amazing change so I think it's really growing I just um, saw today Subway here in Geneva have a vegan option which never had before and it's very <laughs> slowly trickling down yeah uh, like the, the Migro in the, the station Cornavin uh, has now like a vegan pastry didn't used to have like a year ago and months ago yeah so it's very slow here but it's starting to happen but it's happening right and and i think maybe there's sort of tipping points you get mm. like what what would you say about india india it's not that difficult to find um, vegan food but the problem is uh, when you go to restaurants people do not understand it would be very difficult for you to explain that uh, to avoid dairy products because we have dairy products in most of our food like just mixing uh, what do you say cheese or I'm sorry uh, paneer like what we call cottage cheese or uh, ghee which is clarified butter so it's quite common to have uh, vegan food as opposed to finding vegetarian food would be very difficult for someone coming from uh, like in case you're traveling to India Mm. uh, looking for vegan food would be difficult but vegetarian is quite easy like everywhere in India you have even restaurants for instance in Tamil Nadu where I come from you have restaurant which is like stays very clearly pure vegetarian food right so that's interesting so that's like in the sense that you could find vegetarian food but not vegan food that common yeah and i mean as as someone who's going vegan i have actually found that indian food is a go-to like there are so many curries and and such delicious food i mean it really breaks that stereotype of like you're going to be eating just salads and it's going to be really boring and you just do it if you're like some kind of health maniac um (laughs) can you can you tell us a bit more about where like why is vegetarianism more present in india maybe then yeah I could add to that in the sense that what I see the difference between what I see in western countries as opposed to what's practiced in India is that in India it's more a community thing socio-cultural thing because we are like mostly people are born vegetarians and in the sense that your family is already into vegetarian as a practice because of the community they belong to or the religion so for many socio-cultural reasons it's ingrained as a practice it's so easy to switch to um, not eating meat as a practice and even uh, for those who uh, are not used to it as a family practice even for them it's easy to switch to because it's everywhere vegetarianism is everywhere as again not so much vegan but i could say veg for vegetarian and the food options are also a lot and the cuisine the cooking style is mostly like we use a lot of lentils and um, uh, you know non-meat option in everyday cooking is quite common even those who eat meat it's not everyday mostly yeah it's it's interesting to think that like the trend i'd say in the uk and maybe you can talk about switzerland is 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 sort of led by individual choices thinking mm-hmm. about actually more global maybe issues and and thinking about the environmental issues exactly. like climate change or thinking about mm-hmm. kind of philosophical issues and moral issues like um, animal cruelty and sort of it's kind of coming on this like I have to self-impose this rather than actually it exists in the community as a very real thing um, very and culturally that, that you would do it. It's very true. And it seems I agree to precede like an actual imposition of oh we don't have that resource or we don't have or we do find this too cruel to happen now it's actually like something happening before such a movement would happen of like society uh, uh, in general would say like oh this is actually we're going to actually buy meat for some reason Um, it's interesting to see that happen yeah by the 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 willingness of people to change their diet and to change their consumption of like products based off animals that it's like uh, it, it, it can be like wool, it can be like um, queer, um, leather? leather, exactly. <laughs> it can be many, many different things um, that it can be engulfed in the way to live as a vegan, yeah. uh, not impact the world in the same way. That's yeah, for sure. that makes sense. Um, last thing before um, before this end of the, the, the table, maybe, do you have something to, um, I don't know, see where veganism could go in the, in the in the future like where do you see that movement and where do you see that personal cho- choice for now go in the future like would it be something that uh, will get more options in restaurants in 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 um, in shops uh, tomorrow uh, personally I think yes there mm-hmm. is there is going to people are getting increasingly health aware mm-hmm. uh, but on a long-term basis like for instance if I could just speak for India I think India on a policy level is more interested about uh, more concerned about food security and having access to food for everyone Mm -hmm. and um, 
as a policy wise like bringing it uh, on a large scale it would be difficult to as of now focus on uh, something as what the government would think as mm. or what the policy makers would think as very small part of uh, the food spectrum as of now the concern is globally i would say the concern is more about food security and having more people have access to more f- like nutritious food on an everyday basis mm. what about you christina i i think in the uk that it will grow as a movement led um, by people being more conscious themselves of the impacts of of meat eating but it may come to a point where actually it's led by policy makers that, that you know what you mentioned like a ban or mm. or or pricing that forces people to a rethink yeah. basically a, a, a meat tax mm. um either that or businesses really drive a market and there's actually um uh vegan burgers that you can eat that literally taste like um um meat so I think a lot of forces but it it might have to be forced at some point where yeah the climate change impact becomes too great. Perfect. Thank, Thank you. you both Deepa and Christina. I hope Thank to you so much. see you again and now on to the next table. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. So you. <laughs> Joining the table now is people, Pretty Esther and Amy, you are going to talk about a question that is going to set the internet in flames, I'm sure, because it's been a topic of trolling and of very distasteful conversation since years now. Your question uh, is, can women be funny? And Esther is going to start us uh, first. Indeed, that is our topic. Um, thank you for introducing us, and I have the pleasure of uh, having two very humorous women with me here today, Priti and Amy. Would you guys like to briefly introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Amy. <laughs> She's funny. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, hi, this is Priti. Uh, I try to be funny to my son, so I'm funny. And I am Esther. I am also funny. Okay, so to kick off this podcast, I am going to pose a question that's actually the topic of this episode. Pretty, can women be funny? Of course. Amy? Yes, absolutely. Okay, perfect. Then we're done. Thank you guys so much for uh, joining this podcast. No, I'm just kidding. So let's... <laughs> So let's now that's the proof of yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes, indeed. So that's a good I'm note to start on. Here, sorry, because otherwise we would, we would yeah. be like a all female. No, but yes. a group a group of free women needs a man to confirm something to them. You know, it's not like. like <laughs> That, uh, that, was, that was second degree I don't know like you know what actually that was funny so men can actually be funny too <laughs> good job great um, so anyway let's uh, let, let's dig into this topic a little bit more because obviously there's a lot to talk about so um, how can women be funny so let's answer that question you guys said we you know we all agree women can be funny is it easy for women to be funny Um, is it harder for women to be funny? What types of women are considered to be funny? Um, what are your thoughts about that? Amy, maybe you want to yeah. get started. I think we were just talking about that, Esther, you and I, because um, we were thinking about our favorite comedians. And like the first people who came to our mind, like Lurie for me, is like Jim Carrey, uh, Conan O'Brien, Trevor Noah, Trevor Comey. Um, <laughs> basically, those were the people that came to our mind and we couldn't really think of like a female equivalent. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Priti, what do you think? Well, I think um, from my limited perspective, women uh, tend to take themselves uh, less seriously and they can laugh at themselves. And there are so many things going wrong in a day and so much to laugh about. Mm. Um, and uh, it's like a natural fertile ground to be funny. Yeah, and you're actually a mother, right? And you have this uh, pretty funny initiative that you're working on. Yeah, I'm trying to write uh, funny haikus on motherhood. Um, oh. Lots of things go wrong, um, uh, but there's, I think, always uh, things to smile about. Um, and I think lots of uh, women, uh, mothers and non-mothers, um, sort of find things funny all the time. Um, and that's something to be celebrated. Yeah, absolutely. And not to make this about gender, but, you know, if you look at the stats on no women offense. and men in, <laughs> yeah, no. in higher education... The statistics actually show that there are more women enrolled in higher education. Um, so do we think that intelligence 
has to do with humor because I personally think humor is the pinnacle of intelligence. But the stats don't seem to kind of line up. So what do you guys think about this? I think that's really good that you pointed that out because to me, I don't know about like, everyone else, but when I grew up, it like think about class clowns. And typically those were males, like in my school, like in all throughout elementary school, always boys. And I feel like boys are sometimes encouraged to be funny. And whereas when women speak up or when you make a joke, then it's like, oh, like, you know, like you don't you're not encouraged necessarily to be be a risk taker, I guess, right. or to be outspoken. You're, I guess, a bit more socialized to be um pleasant to be nice accommodating don't make jokes uh, at the cost of other people mm. um so for me like i don't know like i'm not trying to be funny um but i think there's an um, element of like taking risk and being courage courageous to like cross boundaries when you are being funny especially as a comedian absolutely do you think it has a cultural element as well maybe pretty you can talk about that Uh, yeah, sure. I can I can talk about my country uh, because being funny is also about being political, and women have come to assume that space. Um, and and uh, you know, with rising education, rising incomes, rising confidence, uh, a lot of women in my country have become stand-up comedians and also taking on taking on the government sometimes, which is really interesting to note because uh, you know, be, being intelligent, being funny, and being political, uh, they all they all somehow uh, come together, and and women can be all three. Mm. Mm. Yeah, speaking about gender um, and gender equality, Jan, would you like to contribute something uh, at this <laughs> for point? Sure, for yeah. sure, for sure. Like, um, um, uh, what I was trying to say before as a, a, a joke is that definitely the, the, the space of comedy is clogged by men for many different mm. reasons. I think, as you said, the way women are socialized mm. um, is to be socialized like out of, oh, you're going to dare like speak up and, and, and do those things like go to open, night, my, uh, open mic nights and stuff like that. Uh, so definitely like there's a cultural aspect and a socialization aspect to that. At the same time, I really think humor is oftentimes and in, in, in its most enjoyed way about punching up. You quote, you, you talked about Trevor Noah, who's a famous satirist who's doing The Daily Show now in the US. Mm. And definitely, I think it will make men, um, for very bad reasons, but it will make men insecure about women actually punching up. Between, because yeah. when they will punch we up, they will too. punch up to men because of how society has been rigged for decades. So I kind of understand the bias why men tend to be uncomfortable with that and say, oh, she's not funny. They don't, like, they say that, but what's hiding behind that is, mm. oh, I feel threatened. Mm. Uh, that's my take on it. Uh, because, like, if women can, like, for example, uh, 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 take the, the relationship between men and women uh, with, through the lens of humor, it's probably not going to be favorable to men, and that's, like, that's fine, because when it's the other way around, it's probably sometimes not favorable either to men themselves or to women. Um, and this is, the, like, this power reversal where, like, some men can feel, like, frightened in that, and you can have that sort of weird backlash happening. No, that's I awesome. Think. That was actually our summary. Thanks for summarizing. Now we're really done. No, okay. Uh, but when we were talking about that, we were saying humor, like, is such a power. It's a tool for creating social power dynamics. So if you think about it, in the board boardroom, um, the person who's the funniest, it basically has their has their, like, he can tweak the like how do you say the dynamic of the room? He gets he the attention. Or he gets yeah. the attention. She. He or she. He or she. Hey. <laughs> they. Yeah. Um. And we we thought about that that there are like underlying social power dynamics um, mm. associated with um, humor and why uh, a lot of men are considered usually considered funnier than women. Yeah, and in many societies, it's unfeminine to be funny. Oh yeah, mm. uh, that's, that's changing, mm. but uh, not so funny. Yeah. So at my current job, our director is a female, and she's a four foot nine, uh, filled with personality. Um, Yeah, amazing, very competent director, and she's hilarious. Her actual dream is to be a stand-up comedian, so we share that in common. Yeah. Um, but well, we're also international organization bureaucrats. So uh, <laughs> she, that's a funny situation, right? And she's trying well, to... Right now, heads of states are pretty funny in, in, in a scary way, but True. pretty funny. <laughs> True, yes. So our goal is to make light of every situation, no matter what we're in. Um, yeah, and she's this tiny woman, but every time she walks down the hall, you know, everyone like lines up behind her and Mm. They just just recognize her authority, and part of that comes with you know her personality, and she's 
funny and she's humorous and everyone likes her but respects her at the same time. So yeah, as women, you don't only have to be liked um, and polite. You can also be funny and quirky and respected. Before letting you go, Priti, I had a question for, for you. Uh, the haikus uh, that you're working on, uh, do you intend to publish them like on the internet, as a book? Like, What do you have in mind for that as an outlet? I would love to. I hope they are funny enough to be published. Um, I would probably also uh, at some point consider collaborating with other funny mothers who mm. think it's really funny to be changing diapers at 4 a.m. Mm. Amy, let's um, get babies. <laughs> <laughs> so so I hope... I hope uh, it'll see the light of the day. And for example, that could be part of a newsletter or something like that. Like I, I clearly see like it could plug into like a newspaper or, 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 or a newsletter or something like that. I could I could potentially also publish on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, now that we are 280 I'm characters, that's, that's, that leaves more space. <laughs> but haikus are typically short. Oh. And 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 uh, and it, it has to be funny and wise. Mm. Uh, so that's a difficult balance especially on Twitter, as we can see uh, these days. Thank you all for uh, your interventions. It was a treat. Now on to the next table. Thank you. Thank you. And now I'm joined by Manon, Auguste and Alex, and they're going to quiz each other. I don't know still if it's about Geneva anymore. It's about Geneva. It's still about Geneva. Awesome. So um, Manon, please take it away. Hello and welcome to the Geneva quiz. We all discover Geneva in different ways. Now, let's share this beautiful knowledge about our beautiful city of adoption. So each of us prepared a series of questions for the others to guess, and we invite you at home, at the library, wherever you're listening, to play along with us. Without further ado introduction, let's start with the Geneva quiz. Woo! This is called warming the room. <laughs> So in the podcast, we have divided the quizzes into four categories. And the first one is out and about, or out and about, if you're Canadian. <laughs> Drum rolls, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so the first question, what is the etiquette, standard etiquette, for a traditional Swiss person to do in an apparel? Ooh, do you bring your own cheese? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> To wear a bow. Um, like when you go to an apparel, like what's the standard etiquette? Like what should you do? And P.S. This is something I got from a book, so I'm not entirely sure. I'm, and I'm, I'm also from not Geneva Swiss. and I don't know. I don't know. Seriously, is it that you have to say um, hello to every single person and then goodbye exactly. to every single exactly. person? Exactly. Yes. So from what I've learned from a book, the traditional way is when you go to an apparel, you have to greet every single person and engage in small talk. And then before you leave, you should also engage with every person in that apparel. Oh, that's fun. Very time consuming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Uh, so next, other than the intern sleeping in the basement, what animal lives in the UN grounds? <laughs> in, in the UN grounds? Yeah. Rats? <laughs> Good guess, but hopefully not. <laughs> mm, dogs, probably? Oh, that would be fun, but no, peacocks. But and where? They wander the grounds freely. When the people who donated the land to the UN gave it, it was a condition of the bequest that the peacocks got to stay. And how many, but how many peacocks? You have to go and break in and count. I <laughs> <laughs> will, maybe. I remember there's also something about um, the UN has to pay for the living costs of the peacocks. They and, do. That's uh, why the UN is running low on money. I see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they would rather pay well, that's peacocks. Where it's going. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not many people know that. I think maybe Manon. Okay, third question. Why is there a jet d'eau in Geneva? I don't know. Is it something to do with uh, gender equality or something? <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Not going to think too hard about that one. Probably gender environment. I don't know. <laughs> to show off how much water they have in the lake. And there is a lot of water. No. Any other guess? Any other guess? No. Okay. Actually, there was a safety valve to relieve. Uh, I, I noted this because uh, I didn't know, actually. Uh, there is a safety, vi a safety valve to relieve a hydraulic plant uh, that was in Geneva in the 19th century. Geneva people loved it, and so they made a jet d'eau when the hydraulic plant uh, was off. 
Very cool. Aww. Way better than the flower clock. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was gonna say like is, was it for the sewers or something like disgusting like that and it became interesting but no. Oh God, can you imagine the jet d'eau from the yeah, sewers? That would oh. be terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Okay, new theme I think. Yeah, and uh, moving on to the next category, it's going to be about people. Mm. As we all know, Geneva is such a diversified city from people all over the world. So let's dive into this right now. Um, what do you think is the percentage of expats in Geneva? Fifty percent, ninety percent, twenty-five. You live in your bubble. Yeah, it's actually lower than I expected. It's twenty-five percent. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, you I began your research one. very early. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yes. All right. So, what famous spy used to live in Geneva? James Bond. Well, I don't think he used to live here. Uh, Do you have a guess, Alex? Mm, Some born, some born American movie person, or getting closer. Edward Snowden lived here for two years. Oh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Come on, he was working for the CIA at the time. Let's stretch it. All right, intelligence officer. All right. Ah. Easy question. Okay. How many nationalities can we find in Geneva? I think probably like 100. A bit more. 177? Hey, <laughs> Lucky yes. guess. 177 nationalities in Geneva. Cool. Hmm. So on to the next category, it's about history. As we all know, Geneva has a wealth of fun, historical fun facts. It's much more than just the escalade story of an old lady breaking a pot. So let's get started. Um, what do you think used to be the Pan Palais? Like before the markets, before uh, Square, what do you think is Pan Palais before everything? I expect that it was a palace. I don't know. It's so huge. I mean, maybe <laughs> gardens or something? Do you derive the palace thing from French probably? Of course, palais is palace mm-hmm. Yeah, but turns out in the uh, 18th century, the Plan Palais used to be an area outside of uh, the huge walls that we have uh, surrounding oh. the uh, uh, city, mm-hmm. basically. And uh, some could probably hypothesize that it's, it's like a battle zone because it's the area right next to the wall. And also, if people want to invade Geneva, they will have to go through Plan Palais. That's fascinating. Yeah. Wow. All right. So up on the hill near the Graduate Institute, we have the headquarters of the International Committee of the Red Cross. But it looks really fancy. It doesn't look like an office building. Um, what, it is, what did it used to be before it housed the ICRC? A prison? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's the human rights people. <laughs> Some sort of hotel, I would guess, because it's next to the... Hotel school? You are absolutely right. Cool. It was the Carlton Hotel and before that a boarding school, which I guess could oh. be construed as a kind of prison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what subculture used to be uh, very important in Geneva in the 70s? Mm, for the 70s, maybe something about um, hip- hipster kind of um, smoking weed or something. <laughs> <laughs> Are hipsters smoking weed? <laughs> Lasting a long time then. <laughs> muesli enthusiasts? <laughs> muesli enthusiasts. That's a very good guess because muesli was extremely important in the 70s, as we all know. Mm. No. <laughs> Any other guess? Mm. No. No idea. Yeah. It was actually the squatting and punk scene. I know it's wow. unbelievable when we look at Geneva right now, but yes, it was huge. And uh, unfortunately, there is no remaining squats or that I know about in Geneva now. I think I have one remaining theme. Yes. Uh, we'll go at it in lightning round for this one because okay. we only have one more minute. Oh, goodness. Um, so on to the last theme, it's, um, as we all know that uh, Geneva is a nice, comfortable, wealthy city, but what if I tell you it actually has a hidden side not known to anyone? Ooh. <laughs> so the first question is, um, we, in, in Geneva, there's a place that has more art than the Louvre Museum. Can you guess where? More art. More art. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Um, 
I know this Oof. one. <laughs> the Geneva Freeport. Yes, that's right. It's it's a very uh, securitized posi- uh, place for rich people to store their uh, art and artsy stuff. There. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There. Yeah. Mm, very suspicious. All right. The next one is dark. So in the ba- but slightly art connected in the basement of the Geneva Art and History Museum, there is a human skeleton. How did that person die? In the oh. base of what? Sorry. It's a part of the exhibit. I hasten to add. Ah. Uh, was he burnt? It's a good guess, but no. Overdosage from cheese and chocolate. Oh, it was human sacrifice, which was actually practiced <laughs> wow. in Geneva um, in the fourth to second century wow. BC. I love the mood transition between cheese and chocolate overdosing <laughs> yeah. and, and he, actually he <laughs> suffered a lot. <laughs> and we are gonna keep uh, the. Uh, the atmosphere very, very light because uh-huh. my next question is about witches. How many witches did Geneva burn between the 15th and the 18th century? I'm going to go with wishful thinking and say zero. <laughs> I second that. I'm going to say hundreds. <laughs> Actually, much, much more than that. So I don't know exactly about Geneva, but uh-huh. in the French-speaking area of Switzerland, uh, more than like more than three thousand five hundred oh, witches God. were burnt. It's what? more than anywhere else in Europe, and the last wow. one was in seventeen eighty two. That's, that's terrifying. Horrifying. Yeah, it's horrifying. Oh my God! <laughs> it's really not times to be living in. Like that's that's that's. Yeah. Mm, I'm super glad to be in 2019 right now. Yeah. To be honest, knowing that. Um, perfect. Thank you, you guys. That was really really fun. We're gonna move on to the next table. And now for the last table, group five, Pedro, Samir, Aditya, and Michel are going to debate around several themes. Uh, Michel, you want to uh, start it uh, right now with maybe the presentation of the first theme, maybe? Yes. So today we're going to be talking about navigating the life in Geneva, or maybe ranting about it a bit, at least on my part. (laughs) And what I'd like to start with is public transport, and the trams in particular. Now, trams are not a real way to get around. They're not a system of transportation. Donkeys would be easier to use. Ah. I mean, it's the worst part of being in a bus, since you get the traffic and everything. And it's the worst part of being on a subway or a metro, freeway, whatever, because you also have the breakdowns that go along with it, and it has to go on one track. And don't even get me started on the prices. It's so expensive. It's not normal. I mean, we all rant about CFF and whatever, but the trams, the trams don't make sense. You have to wait for hours and pay for it. And why? Why do we do this? Just make a real public transportation system that works for people who live here and is not just aesthetically pleasing to everyone. (laughs) I think Pedro has something to add about Uh, this. Yes, I don't like trams either. I think think they get smelly in the summer. They are only Mm. good during the winter, which is when it's cold, so you can go inside the tram and be warm. They get smelly in the summer, they are not 24-7, so you have sometimes to guess when the tram is passing, passing by. And also the TPG app doesn't help at mm, all. I agree. It doesn't help, so you need to figure it out when the tram is passing. And also sometimes the, door, the doors, they don't work. You may press to open them, but they <laughs> are just stuck, so it doesn't work. <laughs> And, and the driver just looks at you while you're <laughs> pressing yeah. the exactly. button and he doesn't stop or do anything. He's just like, bye. Or when you're running wait. to try to catch the tram, he's just staring at you like, you're not going to make it, you're not going to make it, you're not going to make it. Then you really don't make it. No, I agree. But you all, I know you guys are critiquing trams, but let's just talk about the best parts of transportation in Geneva. It's a great place to meet people. I mean, a lot of people who I've met in class and not introduced myself, I met them on the tram. And so the best part is also listening to different languages. I mean, it's one spot where you listen to like Espanol, French, Arabic, Chinese, whatnot, Brazilian languages of this, con- of this world. And so I think it's great to actually have like this online or like 
online entertainment. Wow, what a good pun. And also the fact that, listen, you guys can even meditate and do, po- you can do podcasting. I mean, you can even listen to podcasts. Like, you can even listen to Jan on Radio Kava if he's there. <laughs> or maybe you could even uh, read or kind of just kind of consolidate your thoughts before your class. So I think it's a great, yeah. It's a great way. Funny because I only meet creepy people in the trams, but okay. <laughs> I do like trams actually because first, they look like spaceships. Isn't that really cool? Mm. They're the only place where I've seen that trams look like spaceships. On the other hand, they are still quite functional. Um, the view is mostly nice actually during the day. And come on, let's face it. Somebody has to pay for public transport, right? So we should um, be the ones to so do it? Yeah. Mm, having said that, there are ways to get around this, actually. Uh, back in the day, uh, you know, we used to have a Facebook page in the Institute where live, real-time reporting about the Tipeje raids that would happen. Mm. Uh, and now Pedro tells me there is an app that actually gives you a fake ticket for free or relatively free. Yes. So it's like, yeah, do you want for free. it? <laughs> for free, it's a way that some, someone taught me how to kind of cheat the whole tram situation. So you have to download an app. I don't know if I should name the app. I think, I think since it's not illegal, you can name the yeah, app. So Just Josh, let's everybody, yeah. Let everybody it's know that it's not good to you not can, buy yeah. tickets. You're supposed to pay. You have to pay. So I'm not telling people not to pay. But you can use the fair. I think it's fair tick. So you just sync your credit card to the app and then mm-hmm. just slide to the right mm-hmm. when you see some guard approaching and then you slide again to the left so you kind of cancel your trip and when you do that you have like a key, QR code so the guard can just read it and it kind of like mm-hmm. makes your presence noted so you're free to go kind of but you should pay you have to pay pay yeah there's, there's literally yeah I'm sorry there's literally all different things you can actually do to survive whether it's finding an app that allows you to yeah. do this versatility of getting a good ticket or maybe just getting a bike, to be honest, getting that little good exercise in the morning. So, yeah. What about you, Aditya? You had another thing to say. Well, I mean, from Pedro's explanation, it sounded like free because you could kind of buy it, but de-buy it, right? Um. <laughs> no, you only buy it once. Okay. You, don't, you don't cancel the trip. All right. Otherwise, you'll be cheating. That's not the point of it. I see. Well, the moral of the story then is, well, I had this hypothesis that if you go more than one stop, <laughs> please buy a ticket. Less than that or more than that, mm. it's up to you. Okay. So with that, I so what we've story. learned today. <laughs> so what we've learned today is that you can use probability and statistics to use trams, Very and also do get that app that Pedro was talking yes. about. And speaking of exercise, Amita, you brought it up. Mm-hmm. And what? Why do we use exercise? Well, it's to get rid of all the food we eat, all isn't all it? Fat, the flab. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. I know that's the, she, well, she knows what she's talking like about, apparently. Food, so, okay, go ahead, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so food is something we all do. But um, it's not very original to complain about the prices of food in Geneva, obviously. Everybody has done it. It's what you talk about. It's instead of the weather, Swiss people complain about prices, honestly. Mm. Oh, um, so but... I would like to complain about the prices of restaurants because if you compare Geneva to any other city, it's pretty much the same in terms of prices at the shops, etc. It's not a huge leap. But restaurants? Restaurants is crazy. You're supposed yeah. to be like a diplomat yeah. to, oh, yeah, to eat true. at any restaurant here uh, in Geneva. And I actually really like Mexican restaurants here. Mm. You can find so many, so many multicultural foods. Oh, that's true. I mean, you can just go to Paqui and, and yeah. get foods from around the world. But it's so expensive. Mm. I mean, I feel that it should be, I would like to amend the human rights mm-hmm. and say that it is a human right to eat Mexican food. Or a human right to be able to afford to also eat at these restaurants. No, yes, exactly. In like, Geneva. We'll, we'll yeah. just change the, the charter there. Yeah. there. And, um, I think Pedro has something to say about how to get Mexican food or just general food. Yeah, like general Latin food. Food, kind of, you can find your kind of typical Latin restaurant. But if you're trying to find Brazilian food, since I come from Brazil, you're kind of uh, in a not tricky situation mm. because usually they associate Brazilian food with Portuguese food here. Mm. So sometimes you have to find a Portuguese place so you can have Brazilian food. Mm. And sometimes it's not the same. The ingredients are not the same. And it doesn't work. It's not good. Well, you know something? 
if to counteract the prices in the restaurants and to mm-hmm. counteract the fact that you can't really afford to buy all of these things sometimes doing this wholesale shopping at the start of the week and really cooking helps because yeah. you know it's proven science has shown us or research has shown us that when if you hypothesize it as well that the, the you get smarter if you cook because you have an increase of these cognitive skills in you you multitask better you micromanage better you budget and i think i'm all for cooking so i know it's expensive but you get smarter if you know what i mean so use bike for exercise and also cook so you get smarter well yeah i mean what all the good stuff what if you're like a really bad cooker So I'm just going to eat like eat bad food and that's it. Well, <laughs> wait know, till you get smarter and then <laughs> yeah, you'll eat better I mean, food. Practice makes <laughs> <Keep> perfect. <laughs> I agree with you. In fact, uh, I started doing laundry as I cook, so I don't know oh, if wow. I got smarter, but at <laughs> least mean, I did get cleaner. More, for yeah. sure. And uh, International Geneva has a big number of incredible number of actually ethnic stores where you can buy food from anywhere in the world. And what you can't buy, you can always smuggle. So mm. that's another way. You can smuggle it. As long as you know the right street or the right you know, way to bring it in, it's always good. Um, there are also ways to monetize your cooking if you get better at it. So there is an app actually where you can sell your food you cook at home. And it's a way to share with other people. And I think that, well, this is also a way to great, uh, taste great cuisines from different places in the world, all the 177 nationalities that we have in, this, in the city. Mm. So for me, the moral of the story really is that make lots of friends who know how to cook and mm. you will survive. I have oh, done yeah. that for many years here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the answer in Geneva is get apps that give you free tickets mm-hmm. and also get friends that can cook for you. Yeah, and that's the true international spirit of Geneva that we are in, you all. Yeah, Thank course. you so much for <laughs> tuning in to The Rand and wait for our next show. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks to everyone. It was a blast to have all you here, all 14 of you, five groups for the podcast of the uh, podcasting workshop at the Graduate Institute Geneva 2019. I am Yannida. I've been delighted to be your host. I hope we are maybe able to do that another time. I don't know. We'll see. In any case, goodbye. Have a nice week. Have a nice day. Ciao.